God, thank you for meeting you through music and you meeting us through music. And how would you meet us through your word? Thank you that your word is, is a living word. It's the person of Jesus expressed on the pages of scripture. And so would we encounter your heart to new depths and new dimensions this morning as we hear what you have to say. Holy Spirit, open us, speak to us, and work in us. We want to reflect your life and love more today than we did yesterday, and and more tomorrow than we do today. Amen. Okay, so we, we value authenticity here at Coastlands. And part of that authenticity for me means that sometimes I need to fight the temptation to be Mr. Pastor that has everything figured out. Is that fair to say? Now, I know that I can't fool you even if I tried to make you think that I have everything figured out, but why am I saying this? To be honest with you, this morning, as I was praying about what to share on, I kept thinking, okay, I have something to say about that, but why that? Because I don't know many people in our group that would even believe that. And you'll see what I mean in a minute when I get into it. And so, forgive me at the very beginning if I'm just simply kind of using this as catharsis to recover from Sunday school damage. Um, But I don't think that's what I'm doing. But it's just a really interesting thing that that I feel like God's put on my heart. And as I go through it, my guess is that you're going to say, well, I don't really believe that. But what what I was sensing as we were in worship the word that came to my mind was the word residue. The word residue. And residue. And what I mean by that, so think about, you know, as you grow up, I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever done this, but you grow up within a certain household, a certain dynamic, and you see the things your parents have done well, and you see the things that your parents have not done so well. And so what do you say? You say, I'm never going to be that kind of parent. And then a few years in, you find yourself being what? (laughs) That kind of parent. And not across the board, but what I think is at play there is there's just residue that carries over from our upbringing that even though we can recognize it cognitively and sometimes even get healing from it, it's still just, it's there. And the residue that I feel God wants to address this morning has to do with theology that maybe you never heard. And if you haven't, good. And if you did, then, well, that's why we're going to talk about it. Let me back up a little bit real quick just to frame this for some of us that haven't been here with us over the last uh, couple Sundays. We've been reframing some important things, one of them being our idea of salvation. I proposed, as we talked about salvation, um, that Unlike the Monopoly card t-shirt that I showed you that says, salvation is here, accept Jesus, and get out of hell free. That was kind of the understanding of salvation that I grew up with. And 
I propose that salvation is not a set of ideas to believe, but a person to know and love and walk with. And that unravels a lot of things sometimes in our frame. And so we talked about that. And then we talked last week about this idea of eternal life. And we often think that eternal life is something that happens. It's about where we go when we die. But we tried to reframe eternal life around the person that is eternal that we can walk with starting today. And eternal life is relational, not chronological. And so we've been doing some of that, and it's been fun for me. But this one just seems like kind of like a, like a really quick like jut off the road. It's kind of like Los Osos Valley Road now. You know how you kind of like if you're used to it and there's a construction, it's like, oh, it's there. Uh, that's what this feels like. But I'm just going to get into it, and let's just see what happens. And so here's, here's the concept. The concept is this idea, this rumor that's spread about God, that God, in God's holiness, can't look upon sin. Have you ever heard that phrase kind of brought out in some form or another? That because of a certain understanding of holiness, we get this idea, we have this idea that God can't look upon sin. So I heard that when I was little and I thought, okay, well, that must be true. Didn't really think to ask, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it look like for God to not be able to look upon something? And, but even if you don't necessarily believe that to be true, because I, as you'll find in a few moments, I don't believe that that's a helpful way of looking at this, but what I've found is that I still operate often in my life with God as if that's true. And I feel the Holy Spirit doing some digging and some deconstructing in my life, and I feel like maybe I'm not the only one that could benefit from that. Let me give you some scriptures that are often used to portray this, this idea. And, and here's one. It's Habakkuk. You probably read this in your devotions this morning, in your quiet time. It's one of those go-to, it's one of those go-to stories, Habakkuk. Um, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it says, your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Habakkuk is expressing this to God. And you notice that I put Habakkuk 1.13a. What does that mean? It's the first half of the verse. Now, if anybody ever gives you the first half of a verse, what should you do? Be nervous. But Habakkuk 1.13a says, Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Anybody heard that quoted or even just the kind of the concept behind that presented before? Now what about this one? Um, what am I supposed to do to make this happen? Give it over to Cameron because my phone is... What do you do when you have Apple problems? You call Cameron. Um, what about this one? Isaiah 59.2, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Wow, Chris, why did you have to get all heavy this morning? <laughs> I thought we were coastlands. What are you doing to us? Why did you have to go that direction? And, and there's a couple more. Um, that we'll take a few minutes to look at, but let me show you something. Um, you want to see the rest of Habakkuk 1? 
Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing, Habakkuk says. And then what's the next thing he says? So why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Sounds a little bit like a contradiction. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? What is Habakkuk saying? Exactly. Ryan gets it. Habakkuk saying, God, I thought you were this way. I thought that your eyes are too pure to look upon evil, so why are you looking at these people doing evil and you're not even doing anything about it? Why are you being so patient with them? Wow, it would have been interesting if they would have given us the first or the second part of that verse as well. Now what about Isaiah 59? I mean, that's pretty clear, right? If we go back to that, I don't want to try it, but that's a pretty intense statement. I mean, your sins have cut you off from God or separated you from God and, and God has turned His face from you. That's how the NLT translates it. Um, can I have two volunteers? You're not going to get mud put in your eyes. You're not going to get slapped. You're not going to have to run on a brand new hip. Where's Victoria? <laughs> but I need two volunteers real quick. Just come up and not do anything embarrassing. I promise. Larry? All right, Mike, thank you. Haircut. Yeah, looking super good, huh? I didn't recognize him at school the other day. I was like, who's the new kid and the new dad at school? Um, all right, so let's have you two face each other um, so that everybody can see you right here, just like that. All right, so to, to mess with paradigms, um, usually we picture God as more seasoned, um, but... <laughs> old guy, <laughs> old guy. <laughs> Your words, not mine. I, I use them a lot. <laughs> okay. Work with teenagers. So, so here's God. Here's God right here. And here's Larry. According to this understanding of Isaiah 59, Larry does something that God considers sinful. And what is God's response? In God's holiness, God's response is what? <laughs> he turns his face, Right? Because God has this kind of eek factor when it comes to sin. God's holiness means that, that God just cannot look upon this sin that Larry is... Okay. Has anybody ever kind of had this in the frame of growing up? Okay. Am I... All right. Thank you. Sorry. But thank you. But let me ask you this. Is this the only way to understand what Isaiah 59 is saying? Turn back around for me, God. Now... <laughs> Wait a minute, where's Jesus in the picture? You can't hug yet. Now that'll be for another Sunday. Look at a different translation of Isaiah 59 too. Rather, your iniquities have been barriers between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. So Larry makes a poor choice. Larry sins. And now, what's he doing, Larry? I have no idea. <laughs> you can't? <laughs> what's he doing, everyone else? Still looking. Isn't that a valid way to look at Isaiah 59? Isn't that a more accurate understanding of what sin does to us? Now, 
you, most of you are tracking with this. You guys can sit. That's all I'm going to have you do. And I'll, I'll have more volunteers that will have more fun later. But So I think that you guys would all track with me and get this. So, well, there's a problem, though. What about this? So that he does not hear. What about that part? Well, let's look at Isaiah 59.1 real quick. Oh, too far. Huh. See, Isaiah 59.1. The Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Rather, your iniquities have been barriers between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear, or is it possible so that you think he does not hear? Because you have put up a barrier. Okay, easy enough. But that's Old Testament stuff. What about after Jesus? What about the New Testament? I'm sorry you asked. Everything okay over there? Snack time. I think they're being sneaky, but not sneaky. <laughs> Look at this New Testament passage real quick. 1 Peter 3, 10-12. This is from the message. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Easy. Snub evil and cultivate good. Run after peace for all your worth. God looks on all this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked. Now here's the kicker. But he turns his back on those who do evil things. How many of you want to beg to differ? This is the message translation. I'm not a Greek scholar. But let's look at another translation real fast. This is the English Standard Version. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Kind of similar idea, right? The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's one of your future teachers. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You want to see something fascinating? Play in Greek for a minute. Look at the Greek word for on in the first line, and the Greek word for against in the third line. The Greek is in the parentheses, obviously. Is that interesting? Anyone else but me? The eyes of the Lord are at P, the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is at P, those who do evil. Hmm. What on earth does that mean? I don't know, I'll let you figure that out. But there's another passage that I think helps us understand this. Oh, and by the way, let me give you a better, what I think is a better translation of 1 Peter 3. This is from God's Word translation. The Lord's eyes are on those who do what He approves. His ears hear their prayer. 
the Lord confronts those who do evil. And if we have the proper backdrop, we understand that this confrontation is a confrontation in love and in hope and in restoration, and that's where we need to go. But let's look at this last verse real quick, and then I want to talk about kind of what this has meant to me or why this matters to me. James 4, it says, But he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a pretty big deal to be opposed by God, isn't it? I mean, that's a pretty, pretty strong statement to continue our heaviness with the morning. And I'll tell you how I used to interpret this. Can I have uh, two more volunteers? Can I have a prideful person and a humble person? Just in make-believe world? All right. How ironic is that? You see the irony there? Okay. So we have a prideful person. Now can we have a humble person? Now this is where it gets really tricky. Humility, oh man. Humility, I'm never going to teach on that. Because first of all, I'll be challenging it. And second of all, humility is one of those things that as soon as you think you have it, you've lost it. And then when you realize you've lost it, then, you've, then you think you've got it back again. And then as soon as you realize that you think you've got it back again, then you've lost it again. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> humility is one of those things best not thought about. <laughs> just best to just be. So, we have a prideful person. We need a, a humble person. Thank you, Gayska, for your humility. <laughs> So this is how I used to interpret this verse, and I'm not sure if any of you are with me, but I used to understand this as God has this certain, all right, God, come back here, actually. You're already God this morning. It's, it's just too stereotypical for me to portray God in my little things. So, like, I'm just, I'm, why did I say that? I'm not going to go there. Um, so we have God here, and this is how I used to think this. It was kind of like, like these two are facing the same direction. And God comes to humble person, and God's like, you're awesome, I love you, look how humble you are. Now, now can you muster up feelings like that? Just for the sake of this illustration? <laughs> There's blushing happening in this room. So God is for, God approves, God is all about who this one is and what this one's doing because God loves humility. God approves of that according to the scripture. But then God comes over here and sees pride. And it's as if, according to the scriptures, it's as if something in God changes, isn't it? It's like, wait a minute, this approval, this acceptance, this love, this tenderness that, that God feels here, when God encounters pride, God becomes not like that. Does that make any sense? Right. It, shouldn't, but that's, I'm telling you kind of how I used to see this. It's like God gets angry or God just gets upset about this pride and it's related to you as a person, right? Like it says, God opposes the proud. And so we misunderstand that and it's like something changes in God when God goes from looking you, at you to looking at me. But what if we changed up our picture a little bit? Um, Tyler, I'm going to need you to hold off on the true dynamics of sailing. Um, anyone else that goes sailing because I don't, but let's just imagine it this way for a minute. Imagine that these two are, are sailboats. Okay, a little bit more of a stretch of the imagination, but so Geska and Laura are sailboats, and Mike is the wind. 
God is the wind blowing in a certain direction. And for Geska, she has decided to basically sail and kind of align herself with the direction of the wind so that the wind is at her back. Isn't that a way to understand grace? When you feel God's grace, do you feel like there's a wind at your back? And so she has this wind at her back. And it's the wind of God. She's sailing in the direction that God is blowing. But Laura has decided, and this is why you need to hold off on all of here, all the true dynamics of sailing. So Laura has decided to go contrary to the wind of God, and she's decided to sail into the wind with her sail, what do we call it? When it's this way? Now what is Laura going to experience when she tries to sail this direction with her sail wide open? She's going to experience opposition, isn't she? It's going to feel like resistance. It's going to go dead in the water. It's probably going to tip over, and if you're out in the ocean, you're going to freak out, and it's not a fun thing. I have had that happen. (laughs) But do you notice that it has nothing to do with God's posture, God's demeanor, God's nature, God's character changing? What has changed? It's about the dynamics according to which we've chosen to live and operate. Do you think that that's a viable interpretation of what James 4.6 is saying? That God's wind is at the back of the humble, but those that are prideful are going against God's wind and they experience that as opposition. Um, we guys sail, you can sail your way back to your seats. Thank you. Um, now, like I said, there, I'm sure there's all these things about tacking into the wind and stuff like that that I'm never going to really that freak me out. But can I tell you what, this, what I've realized what this means to me? Even though I don't believe that God changes when I make a poor decision or that, that, God, that God's heart changes towards me, this is still what I find myself doing. I find myself recognizing behaviors in myself that I'm not proud of, that I believe that God wants to change, that God wants to confront. And instead of saying, okay, God, will you take this and heal this? Will you confront this in me so that I can be restored? I kind of, just like a kid, I kind of send it into its bedroom for time out. And then, what does it do? It keeps yelling. When can I come out? Can I come out yet? And then we say, shut your mouth. If you ask again, you're going to stay in there longer. And then that cycle just keeps on going. And then your kid's in timeout for 36 hours. And here's the question. Who is timeout more exhausting for? Who's really getting punished when a kid gets put in timeout? It's us, right? The question is, How much energy do we spend holding back certain pieces of our character, personality, things that we believe that God might not approve of? Because we're afraid that if God sees that, and we know cognitively that God sees everything, but we believe on some level maybe, maybe we believe that if God saw that, God would disapprove and God wouldn't accept at least that part of us. And so we shove it down into the deep recesses of our house. 
We send it to its room. And it says, wait a minute, let me come out, let me come out. How much energy do we spend trying to keep it there? Versus saying, hey, why don't you come on out into the light? Why don't you sit on my lap and let's have a little chat about why you're behaving this way? Parents, has that ever worked better for you than just keeping your kid in time out for 30 minutes? So I think that's one thing that often happens if we believe, even subtly, that God can't look upon sin. It becomes this, well, I better not show that to God. Stay there. Shut your mouth. And then we lose touch with parts of ourselves. Parts of ourselves that are longing for healing. Longing for restoration. The other thing it's used for is simply just to keep people in line. Hey, don't do that. Don't do this. We know how God feels about that. Have you ever experienced that? The holiness of God used to just get you to shut up and obey and do what you need to do? None of us have ever experienced that. Last thought. Because I think what it had become for me, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And I really used to think that, God, that God's holiness meant this kind of idea that it's, it's kind of like the 1950s maid with, when a mouse runs across the floor. You know what I'm talking about? It's the like, eek, and like the jump up on the chair or the table and, and scream. I thought that that's what it meant, is just that God had this, uh, this, this aversion to sin, that God said, I refuse to look at that. I can't look at that. I'll send Jesus. I'll let Jesus do the dirty work. I'll let Jesus take care of that. But it was almost this, this passive avoidance in my mind. God's like, nah, I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to touch that. But then I thought, you know, if something happens that I hate, I have a couple ways to respond to it. I can just totally, my wife hates snakes. So if she sees a snake, yeah, she can, you know, just go the other direction. But there's another way to respond to something you hate. I was teaching down in Belize, and the, the campus that I was speaking at, we have our classroom, and then about 200 yards from the classroom is a dock, and then this, and the beach is right there. And so we, we finished, we finalized class out on the dock, and um, I was teaching, you know, in, well, let's just say not my swimsuit, because that's not appropriate. But So I'm just teaching, and we have class on the dock, and I was talking about how maybe God's, Hatred of evil is less about God getting spooked and jumping up on a chair. And maybe God's hatred of evil is actually this passionate refusal to let it stay the way it is. And I ran in the middle of class and I just dove right into the ocean with my clothes on. And the idea is that what if that's what it looks like for God to hate and not tolerate sin is that God sees things in us that are broken, that are off kilter, things in us that need to be healed, and, and instead of passively avoiding it, God actively engages to heal and restore and redeem it. Isn't that what you've experienced in your walk with God? And so I'm glad that, that I've been able to tell you things that you already know. But I think the issue comes down to 
Is there any residue left? Do we still have this idea that when I make this choice, there is now a part of me that God cannot accept, God will not look at, God will, that God can't handle? Maybe that would be the word. Have you ever had that thought or feeling come to you? Man, if I do this, or now that I've done this, I'm not sure that God can handle that. So I'm going to sit back for a minute, and we'll take um, yeah, just a couple minutes. And I think there's probably a way that we can respond to this, and I'm going to look to some friends for help for that. But let me really quick, I want to ask you for some, just if this is landing anywhere for you, just even you know, in thoughts. But this was the phrase that, that came to my mind this morning. Actually, it was last night. The phrase was that on God's heart was an unburdening for the people that feel like they need to hide parts of themselves from God in order to continue to be accepted by God. And I think that we often do that. If we do do that, we do it at a very subconscious, a very deep unconscious level. It's not like we're actively like, oh, yeah, I want to get rid of that. But I think we often find things kind of trying to squeak their way out of us. And we're like, where'd that come from? Let me ask you this. Have you ever had something happen and you're like, whoa, that was totally not me. I was really not myself there. Guess what? That is this. So in a minute, we'll get a chance to respond and see if there's a way we can pray for each other. But does anybody have anything that you feel like, that's kind of how I see this yeah. And really, I like, there's a guy named Ken Blue, I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with him, but a vineyard guy used to travel with John Wimber, and, and he says it pretty simply along with what Al just said. Sin doesn't change the way God feels about you, but it's just kind of like walking into a buzzsaw. That's just stupid. Why would you do that? It doesn't change the way God feels about you. It's just, it's harmful for you. And so God expresses, and that's, we're, at some point we'll talk about wrath and, and what that's all about. How do you reconcile wrath and love if we have to? But, yeah, I want to I wanna look to some friends real quick. Um, since I'm putting people on the spot this morning. Mike, any sense of how we can pray for one another in this or along any other lines as we wrap up? Oh, me. 
Take my friends, take my fears. All I have, Lord, I'm leaving here. Be all my hopes, be all my dreams, be all my delights, be my everything. Be my everything. Just you and me here now. All you and me here now. And it's just you and me here now. All you and me here now. Only you and me, Lord. It's all you. can heal my heart it's only you can remove my doubts and it's just you and me here now only you and me here now it's just